This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. We were crying out for City's players to shoot more on last week's show and I suppose the bright side of the game at Spurs was that they did exactly as we'd asked. Now if we can just get them to get those shots on target and pass the goalkeeper into the goal, boy can dream, eh? Uh, Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we're still all in total shock that City managed to walk away from North London without all three points, let alone without scoring a single goal. But that does mean it's the first time Guardiola City have gone back-to-back games without scoring, so what's the problem? We'll be trying hard to get to the bottom of it this week. Nostalgia is the order of the day as Rob Wilson takes us back on a trip down memory lane to Manuel Pellegrini's final season at the club in the latest in his series of reviews of the last decade, and Howard Hawking is back on the show as well later on. I'm David Mooney. With me in the studio this week is City fan Ali Fogg. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good to hear. And the Sunday Mirror's Chief Football Writer, Simon Mullock. Hi, David. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good, thanks. Good, good. I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, Now then, obviously, uh, one game to review this week, looking back at Spurs. I said it at the start there, Simon. How on earth did City not score in that game? I've thought about it for three days, and I still don't understand how they failed to put the ball in the net. Um, Not just the penalty, but the chances that they missed. Um... Lloris had a, quite an inspired game as well. Um, and on another day, City could have walked away scoring five goals quite easily and nobody would have complained and nobody would have been saying that it was a Jose Mourinho masterclass because that, that certainly wasn't a Jose Mourinho masterclass. It's a, uh, I was, was going to say, it's a, it's a risky game plan to hope that your opposition miss a penalty and two open goals and get a man well, sent but, off. But, you know, the, the, what Mourinho is a genius at is, is kind of neutralising the opponent and then kind of a bit of the old Muhammad Ali rope dope kind of drawing this thing out of them and then, you know, maybe scoring a goal on the break. That's a Mourinho masterclass. What, what it isn't is when you are just relying on luck and the other team's poor finishing to keep you in the game, which is exactly what it was. Um, and some poor, I thought, poor refereeing decisions as well. I mean, City had one penalty. They should have had another one straight afterwards. I'm, Absolutely no doubt about that. That well, uh, there was a foul on Sterling. Don't worry, we are going to get into, um, into the meeting. So, yeah, to, to, to get back to your original question, how did City fail to score? I've not got a clue. Yeah, Ali, when we put it like that, a penalty, one, a shot off the post, a shot off the bar, uh, two missed open goals, De Bruyne shot wide from close range, Aguero shot wide from close range. These are not... City don't miss these chances. Yeah, a few weeks ago, uh, Sterling had one of these games where he alone was missing everything and and one of my friends asked, you know, what's happening? And I said, the only explanation I've got is that he's been cursed by a witch. Uh, (laughs) And every time he goes to shoot, like a a little demonic finger pokes out the turf and knocks the ball out of the way or something. Uh, And it seems to have spread since then because it started with Raheem, who lost the ability to hit a barn door. And it's now all of them, uh, and it's it's absolutely completely inexplicable. There, there's no there, I mean, joking aside. Um, I guess you can put it down to um, form and and confidence and all of those things that uh, professional athletes are are subject to, um, or maybe it's just like one of those things. Uh, yeah. We we keep coming upon goalkeepers having you know playing games out of their skin. Um, De Gea did it last week, uh, and and Lloris, I think particularly at the um, towards the end, where I think we were already two 0 down. But De Bruyne curled in an incredible yeah. shot come 
uh, cross. I'm not quite sure what it was meant to be, but it was going right in the top corner, and that saved that Lloris made where he actually, I think, almost pulled his calf or something. Yeah, you know the goal. It, yeah. You know the goalkeeper's been busy when he actually gets cramp. Yeah, yeah. You know, he went down. <laughs> yeah, the guy yeah, went down. Yeah. With, the Absolutely. guy that went down with cramp after saving that. Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, Alan. no, no. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's, it's all of those things. And um, but you know, for me, there's a bigger issue. It, it's we didn't score, um, but for me, and, you know, we've. There have been too much talked about problems that City have had this year. Um, one is we're not putting away our chances, and that's undoubtedly true. The other is we've got you know, a degree of chaos at the back, and um, we've we've got all kinds of problems in defence uh, centre of defence. Um, those have been much talked about, but I don't think either of those are the reason why Liverpool are absolutely murdering us in the league this year. I think it's something else. Um, when you look at the two teams, when things go against them... It's witchcraft, isn't when, it? Well, it's, it's, I'm moving on from the witchcraft. <laughs> it's worse than that. It's psychology. <laughs> when things are going against us, um, when we lose a goal, when we, got, when we miss a penalty, when we get a man sent off, um, when that's been happening to Liverpool, they've been pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and saying, right, somehow, by hook or by crook, we are going to win this game. And even when they haven't remotely deserved to, by hook or by crook, by whatever it's taken, witchcraft or whatever else, they've somehow got the ball in the net and they have stolen points that they had no right to have. And again and again and again, we've been in the same kind of positions and we have crumbled. You know, yeah. the, the, when things have started to turn against us, instead of raising the the bar again and again and again and getting better and better and putting them under more and more pressure we have just collapsed like a house of cards and I'm fed up of it it's happened again and again this season and that's why they are 24 points ahead of us in, in the league it's not that we're missing chances it's that we are not um, delivering on, on our potential in games Simon this team has scored 102 goals this season I've kind of been wearing two hats this season. One, one obviously, is a journalist where you have to be critical of what's going wrong at the club. But as a fan, I've I've really enjoyed it. And um, and of course, it was frustrating. The game on Sunday was so frustrating. The game against United in mid last midweek was so frustrating. But the football city are playing. It, I think it's brilliant. And listen, if you can't, we're not going to win the league. Um, but I, I just think that the fans should at least try and enjoy what they're still seeing. There are massive flaws in the team, particularly, as Ali said, defensively and uh, um, mentally as well. Um, and I just wonder whether City went to the well so many times last year when they were fighting it out at the top with Liverpool and and kind of and managed to somehow get over the line under intense pressure. And I just, I've just got a feeling that that, that kind of stress over a six-month period has kind of taken its toll on the team and and it's not it's not unreasonable on, on, on either. The, it's, I don't think it was unreasonable and I think Liverpool had the added bonus as well it would have been interesting to see how Liverpool had responded this year if they hadn't won that Champions League at the end of you know the most incredible Premier League season if they had another disappointment to come off the back of it would have been interesting to see how they reacted but I think that that Champions League win becoming champions of Europe that, that gave them so much belief that, that they've kind of carried on on the same level that the well they've gone up a level let's be fair they've gone up a level it looks like they're going to you know shatter city's uh, points record so liverpool have gone up a level whereas i think city have kind of uh, it, it just looks like a team 
that has maybe kind of run its course and uh, and just needs refreshing. Just needs a little bit of a reboot somewhere yeah. along the line. Um, we're going to come on to VAR now, Simon. So uh, I hope you ha- hope you uh, hope you're ready for this one. Uh, this week's VAR jingle uh, has come from uh, Josh Morris. Bar. So thank you for that, Josh. Uh, if you'd like to send in some, uh, they've got to be really crap jingles, by the way. So, so I don't want anything. I don't want any high quality production, as you've just heard from Josh. So I don't want any any production on it whatsoever, as crap as you can. Uh, get in touch at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, VAR stepped in to give City a penalty, Simon. It was one minute and fifty five seconds of play that carried on in the meantime. Should that have carried on? Um, well, the referees are under instruction that the um, play shouldn't be stopped until the ball is in a neutral zone, which I suppose, by the letter of the law again, um, the officials acted in the correct manner. What I can't see the point of that is, for example, um, early this season when City went to Anfield and uh, there was a clear handball by Trent Alexander-Arnold, Liverpool went up the other end of the pitch and scored a goal. And... People have suggested that maybe part of the officials' thinking was if we disallow a Liverpool goal and give City a penalty at the cop end, we're going to have serious problems to contend with. Well, this now, is... now that that shouldn't come into anybody's thinking. So I think as soon as as soon as the VAR, VAR official is satisfied that it was a penalty, then the game should be stopped wherever wherever the ball is on the pitch. The referee really has a duty to, to blow up as soon as he gets that, that shout that you've made a mistake. Um, so, yeah, I, I think by the letter of the law, the officials got it right. But again, once again, we're talking about is the law correct? And I, I don't think it is. Well, this is this is the process what happened, Ali. Mike Dean didn't <clears> give a penalty in the first instance, so it was re- re- referred to VAR. All penalty decisions are referred to VAR, whether or not they're, they're given or not. Um, and if play is still going on, then that, can, that check can happen while the play is going on. Uh, the VAR checks it was and decides it was a penalty. The reason it took 1 minute 55 then was because they then had to check if there was any offence in the build-up, so whether any City players were offside in, in the build-up to, to get in the penalty, any fouls by M- any potential uh, clashes in that. Um, there were four moments in there where there could have been an offence, so they checked all of them and they decided that none of them were. So then when the ball was next in a neutral area, as Simon says, the referee can then stop the game, point to the spot. Um, so I, I suppose what I'm kind of getting at, is it better to... At that point, when the penalty check has happened, as soon as the ball is cleared, stop the game, let the check happen, and everybody wait around and then give a penalty a minute and 55 later, or let play carry on, just in case it's not a penalty. Because if it's not, then you just kind of carry on as you were. I'm uh, so down on the entire delivery of VAR. I still, there's a bit of me thinks, in theory, it should be a good idea. Um, Everything about the way it's being um, implemented just makes me want to lose not only uh, faith in VAR, but pretty much faith in the game of football. It, 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 uh, you, you just beautifully highlighted, but both of you beautifully highlighted all the, the problems and, and potential what they were, um, uh, uh, contradictions within VAR. Um, obviously, if uh, there's been an incident, the referee thinks it's not a penalty, and then Liverpool break and they're charging up the other end, Nobody wants the whistle to get blown while everybody then hangs about and then the VAR official agrees with the referee and says, oh, sorry. We and, the, and the breakaway we is gone. Let, Yeah, we yeah. should have let you have your break. Um, you know, you can't do that. Um, alternatively, you know, the worst possible outcome is that, you know, uh, in this case, Spurs do go up the other end uh, and score 
and then that has to get ruled out because there was a there should have been a penalty at the other end, which which we then miss. We'll come back to that <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, and I mean, I I would um, I think at the end of the season we have to have a big think about what VAR gets used for and how it gets used. Um, and I'm actually coming around to the idea that overruling a, de- a referee's decision on a penalty is not the best use. Um, I think we we use VARs to look at goals that have been scored. Um, and I think we use VAR as a way of the referee clarifying what he couldn't see. Um, what I would like at the end of the season is for uh, VAR to be used much more like cricket referees, where as cricket umpires, uh, where the referee says to the VAR team, right, was there an offside? Was, was the player uh, number 10 offside when that ball was played? Um did so-and-so get a, a touch on the ball before he made that tackle? Um, if the answers to those are yes or no, then you make a decision accordingly. But it shouldn't be about a, a team of faceless and, in some cases, nameless officials in... In, in Stotley Park. St- Stotley Park. Um, trawling through every incident that's happened like in the entire passage of play to find a reason to, to rule out a goal. Um, it just takes all the spontaneity and joy out of the game, or not all of it, but a, a large amount of it. Um, and I just think that the benefits that we're getting back from it are not worth it, particularly when the VAR teams are continuing to make controversial decisions that you cannot understand. Yeah. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll come back well, to that. We can move on to that now. I've, I, well, I've got the list of, of possible outcomes in that 1 minute 55 seconds. If uh, if Spurs had scored, then the goal should be disallowed and it's penalty to City. If City had scored, then the goal, the City goal would stand. They wouldn't rule out a City goal to then give City a penalty. Um, if City were to score a goal that was ruled offside, then that goal would be disallowed and we'd go back and take a penalty for City. If there was a red card, then the red card would stand and it would be a penalty to City. Whether or not that, that play is then deleted from, from football, the, the argument is that players have to abide by the laws of the game. So if they've committed an offence that's a red card offence, it should still should still stand. Um, if there's a red card, though, for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, that is overturned. <laughs> because, because that play doesn't exist, there was no goal-scoring opportunity, so the player hasn't denied it. So it's, still, it's just... Uh, I mean, get your head around that. Martin Samuel... Um, who is a, a very well-respected journalist, made an absolutely fantastic point a few weeks ago in one of his columns in that the ball... say for, And this is obviously an example. Uh, team A has a shot. The ball hits the player on the arm, but it's accidental. You know, he couldn't get out of the way. It's accidental. But that player gets control of the ball and smashes the ball immediately upfield to his own centre-forward who runs through and scores a goal. They can't give a penalty because it was an accidental handball by a defender. But that goal's overturned. But but the goal has been scored because of a handball. So how how on earth would you start play? What what on earth would the decision be? There's another one that occurred to me. I have no idea. I mean, that is kind (laughs) of... and, And again... It's because these scenarios have not been taken into consideration. We, we've we've introduced the technology before before they've thought through every single possibility. About. We have we've opened Pandora's box. Correct, that's the problem. Correct, and the worst thing from from my perspective, or as a football fan, is that every week you get referees on TV sort of explaining these decisions, and it feels like that they are under this impression that the game belongs to them. 
that as long as it makes their job easier, then VAR's not going away. The game doesn't belong to referees and officials. The, re the game belongs to the players and the supporters. And it's kind of, you know, it, 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 they might feel that it makes their job easier. Well, I'm sorry, it's killing the spectacle of the game. So let, let's let's get rid of it before before it's too late. Can I give you another opening of Pandora's box moment? I, I was I watching, the, I was watching the game on Sunday and uh, I can't remember who the Spurs player was, but uh, they were attacking and I'm, I think, I can't swear to a bit, for, for the sake of argument, assume that an, an attacking Spurs player touched the ball with his hand. Just briefly, just a little... One of those little, little flick. flick, a little little feather on his hand, and I was like, he just touched that ball, um, and play continued, and it ended up going out for a, a throw-in to Spurs. Uh, it occurred to me what we should have done, what City should have done, the moment that ball touched his hand, everybody just stop, walk away, and let him hit the ball in the in the goal. Because then, because if they hit that ball in the goal, yeah. it will be ruled out because yeah. uh, uh, intentionally or not, he has touched the ball with his hand. Uh, and so that goal must be must be ruled out. Whereas, because we played on, it ended up going out for a uh, throw-in, or it could have gone out for a corner. We could end up losing a goal from that throw-in. Um, we'd have been better off letting them score. Yeah. So, you know, if, if a defender sees a, an attacking player just brush the ball with that, they should just walk away, have the goal. But then Newcastle, earlier in the season, scored a goal after it hit one of the players on the arm. And, and, the, VAR and the VAR missed it completely. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you've got to get that one right. The um, problem is that, that with, and, and the VAR was supposed to get rid of the, this kind of, um, this grey area. But football is always going to be about a, um, it's about it's people's it's opinions. And for example, I, I still wonder whether Mike, the second challenge on Sterling after the penalty had been saved, I wonder whether if Mike Dean had actually seen the film, that he would have said that's a penalty. Yeah. Because everybody else thought it was a penalty, but there's some guy in Stockley Park well, I'll who tell decided. You, what? So again, again, I've done, I've done the research. So why is, I know, why I know is what a guy the, in Stockley uh, Park taking a decision that is, you know, that is a matter of opinion? The, the guy refereeing the game is the guy who's in the middle of the pitch, not 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 a guy who's who's sat out by Heathrow Airport in a in a you know having a cup of tea and, a, and and just watching the game like the rest of us. Well, I can tell you what the thought process was behind the Sterling decision and why it wasn't overturned to become a penalty. Whether or not this is right or wrong in, in anybody's opinion is is immaterial because this is what the referees have, have talked to each other about. What happens is Mike Dean describes what he's seen to the VAR. The VAR then says, actually, that's not what happened or this is what happened. So as long as Mike Dean said something like, there's a coming together between Sterling and Lloris... The VAR can't make a decision on what has taken so Sterling over. So, it, so, so again, there's a get, there's a get out. There. It, it gives them a get out, which VAR was supposed to make sure that these kind of get outs weren't weren't available to referees. And the most frustrating thing about Sunday was that once again a goalkeeper saved a, a Man City penalty a yard off his line, yeah. right? And VAR is 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 deciding these kind of, you know, if a guy's elbow is offside. These these kind of you know minute details, yet they are not allowing VAR to rule whether the goalkeeper stood off his line. Do you and know? Do you know why? I got I got the official word in at the start of the season. Do you know why that is? Why? Because they said, oh, it because it, it it's too marginal. <laughs> then you look the at the offsides as well. You know what? What I was and and this goes back to City's malaise this season. Clearly, City didn't replace Vincent Company. Um, but they lost. They lost somebody who I think is is a natural a natural leader. And what what City should have done after they won at Sheffield United the other week was when the captain goes into the the referee's 
room before the game, so hand over the team sheets and the referee and the, the, the two assistants are there. Fernandinho should have said, ref, did you see that penalty we had saved against Sheffield United the other week? The keeper's four, four or five yards off his line. Can you make sure, can you make sure that your assistant is on the ball every time there's a penalty and if that keeper, the keeper comes off his line, it's spotted. And he flanks because, for it, yeah. Because we could have lost the game. And it just takes a word from the captain. And then if those, if that kind of request is ignored, then the manager has got every right to say, I've seen the replay of the penalty, he's a yard off his line. Yet, do you know we actually made a point of asking the referee and the two linesmen to make sure that they they give it their full attention. That's got to be the easiest job. Spotting whether a goalkeeper's come off his line has got to be the easiest job in football. There's no excuse for those. As, as, a, as a goalkeeper, I can tell you the easiest job is, is coming off your line for a penalty. The but, second yeah. easiest job is spotting whether you've done no, it. But there's, no, there's no excuse for, for two assistant linesmen to miss. I mean, the Sheffield, Wednesday, the Sheffield United one was even worse. Mm. He was practically stood on the six-yard box. And I just don't think there's any excuse for those. Why bring in VAR to 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 so much, you know, with all this controversy, and then allow a mistake like that to continue? I just don't. It it just doesn't kind of. It doesn't make any sense. I I remember when I think it was in the Women's World Cup last year when they started flagging uh, goalkeepers for coming off their line, and there were two or three of them in a row, and it became a big point of controversy in the, in the tournament um, and I remember talking to someone about that at the time and saying of all the ways in which VAR would change the game that should be the easiest one for a goalkeeper to stay in their line while the penalty kick is taken um, is a technical thing that's a coaching yeah. thing they learn to move sideways or to leave one foot planted um, and you know a couple of days coaching and they will solve that problem so that was one where VAR could have actually you know made a huge positive difference to the game and the Premier League in their wisdom decided they didn't want to go with the FIFA VAR rules and invent their own ones which included every miniature tiny transgression you could possibly imagine with the one exception of goalkeepers jumping yards yeah. off their line which for absolutely my, no reason whatsoever is excluded from VAR decisions. Yeah, my, my, only, my only possible suggestion to modify your uh, way to improve it, uh, Ali, would be to maybe suggest the question should be if they've broken the laws of the game, have they gained a significant advantage yeah. by doing it? Because if the answer's no, yeah. then you go, well, who cares? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, who yeah. really cares? Yeah. Like Laporte at the start of the season, did he gain yeah. a significant advantage yeah. by the ball brushing his arm? Not really. Yeah. Jesus' goal stands. You know, mm-hmm. that, it just seems maybe maybe that's maybe that's using too much common sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, Going to move on and, and chat a little bit about, uh, about City at the back just before we move on. Um, in terms of, of Edison this season, is he... Up to scratch, do you think, Simon? I thought he should have saved the second goal on Sunday. <clears throat> um, I wouldn't fault him for it. It was a it was a good hit, and it took a deflection off Fernandinho, yeah. which obviously wrong footed him a little bit. But they're the kind of say they're the kind of shots that the really top goalkeepers keep out. And um, it's, an, it's another game. I think it was two shots on target, two, two goals. shots, two goals, and that that is probably the most worrying thing even more than all the chances that City missed, that, that they are going into games knowing that, you know what, if we don't score at least one goal, we're going to lose We're going to lose the game because they're incapable of keeping clean sheets at the moment. And, um, yeah, I mean, Edison brings, as this podcast has spoken about, you know, many times, he's got other qualities that, that makes him a perfect Pep Guardiola 
goalkeeper. But I, I, there's been a few times this season where he's he, shots have beaten him, where I've thought, well, you know, maybe he's not dropped a, a clanger by any stretch of the imagination. <clears throat> but you just wonder sometimes whether whether he, he he should and could have done better. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the protection he's getting, though, well, it, it, it's a lot's been made this week about Rodri and Gundogan not being able to play in the same team. And it, what what kind of confuses me about this is that if that's the problem, why did City dominate the ball so much? Yeah, I don't think that is the problem. Um, when the team sheet first came out, I, um, my initial reaction was, well, if Gundogan's playing as the other eight in a kind of classic City 4-3-3 or 4-1-2-3, whatever you'd call it, I'm not particularly happy about that because I don't really like Gundogan in that role. If Pep has decided that we're uh, patchy at the back and he wants to play effectively two holding midfielders, two number sixes, and a kind of 4 2 three, one, uh, uh, Pellegrini style. I was I was okay with that, and I think for the first half hour, you know, up until um, probably up until Spurs scored, uh, it was kind of going fine. Uh, he was mostly playing slightly back along with Rodri rather than further forward alongside De Bruyne. And in terms of formation and tactics, we absolutely had it pegged. It was it was no problem at all. We were totally dominating all the positions. Spurs had nothing to offer, and we were. Yeah, I'd, 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 however many dozens of shots that we had, and and, and you know, a good fair few of them on target as well. Um, the the problem was we couldn't actually get it past Loris and into the back of the net, and the, you know that's nothing to do with formations. So I don't think that was the issue. Um, the oh, I mean we we've talked about talked earlier about about um, City folding when when things started going bad, and, and that that was a, a major problem. Um, but yeah. We all looked at the lineup, and probably uh, I don't think anyone—I I didn't see anyone being overly excited about the lineup that was published on on Sunday. Um, but that absolutely wasn't the problem, you know. If, when when you've got um, Gundogan missing penalties and Aguero missing open goals from two yards, and Gundogan skying it when it would have been easier to score, and all of those things happening, um, then yeah, formation doesn't matter. It's not too old in midfield, is yeah, it? No, yeah. Earlier this season, I shaved off my beard when Harry's sent me some goodies, and ever since then, I've grown it back and shaved it off again a couple of times. Definitely not, though, because it's going grey. Every time, the shave has been close and smooth with a comfortable glide over my very handsome face. When it arrived, it was neatly packaged in a lovely resealable bag, and in the luxury box inside was a strong, sturdy razor, a tin of shaving gel, and a protective case for the blade, plus some tips telling me that the guy in the mirror looks great, which he obviously does. The foam was soft and gentle, and the shave itself was very easy because of the movable head of the razor, meaning I could get to all the awkward places like that bit under my jaw by my ears really easily. That razor was also a good weight for applying pressure and a comfortable fit in my hand. It's left my chin looking smoother than it's done for years. Now, if you know me, then you'll know that another reason that I normally wear a beard is that I don't enjoy the effort of shaving daily, but that was really comfortable and easy every time I've done it. It's been a refreshing change and it's affordable. What's also refreshing is that Harry's is supporting the football community. And that doesn't just mean the Blue Moon podcast, but also supporting football's other guys, the five-a-side teams or the Sunday league teams, and all the people who put the cones out, wash the bibs, sit on each other's shoulders to do that fiddly thing where you'd put the nets over the goalposts on a park somewhere. 
Harry's will be celebrating grassroots football with a competition at the start of March. Think changing room makeovers or brand new kits or things like that or any equipment that you might need to improve your facilities for your local team. To find out more about the competition or to get started shaving with Harry's, head to harrys.com forward slash moon. For just £3.95, you'll get a trial set worth £11.50 and that includes a razor handle, a five-blade razor cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover. Sign up and you'll also be helping the Blue Moon podcast out as well. That's at harrys.com forward slash moon. If you're listening on your phone, you could do it now while the show still plays in the background. Now, all this season on the podcast, we've been reviewing each of the last 10 since the show began in 2009. This week, Rob Wilson is looking back on Manuel Pellegrini's final term at the club, which culminated in the Champions League tie with Real Madrid. After going trophyless in the 2014-15 season, Manchester City quickly set about making big changes to their squad for the next campaign. James Milner, Frank Lampard and Alvaro Negredo all left, while the attacking talents of Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling were secured after lengthy transfer sagas, Nicolas Otamendi also joined from Valencia. The season began on a Monday night at West Brom. A 3-0 win capped by a brilliant header from Captain Vincent Company was the first of five straight victories and five straight clean sheets that saw City top the table in September. The best display of those five came in the second game as City hammered defending champions Chelsea with another Vincent Company header part of another 3-0 win. Rob Pollard was happy for the captain to get his goal. You've got to give him credit for that really if he's sort of decided to knock a, a summer holiday on the head and, and come in early and actually and put himself through his pace. And it's worked because you know those they're the best two performances I've seen since Barcelona away, not last year, the year before, which was the last proper company performance I can remember. By November, however, City's form in the league had faltered, just as it had the year before. A fast start sadly turned into another disappointing league campaign. A five-goal haul from Sergio Aguero in a 6-1 win over Newcastle would provide brief respite in October, but after a 4-1 defeat at home to Liverpool in November, serious questions were being asked of Pellegrini again. The organisation is weird for me. Like, I've never seen two centre-halves go for the same ball so yeah. many times. You could have put up, like you could have like, thrown a hula hoop over the yeah. two of them so many times, and then all you've got to do is bypass five yards of the pitch, and then you're in at the goalkeeper. It would be April before City won consecutive league games again, as their Christmas form saw them lose any chance of regaining the title, and had some fans worried about a second consecutive season without silverware. In the League Cup, however, Manuel Pellegrini's side were making their mark. A 4-3 aggregate victory over Everton in the semi-final set up a tie with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in late February, in what would be Pellegrini's second League Cup final in three years. Once again, City would make no mistake at Wembley, as a little-fancied reserve goalkeeper made himself a hero. And Caballero puts himself in the spotlight to be a hero now. Coutinho, faltering run up, and Caballero makes a second save. And Lallana disappoints as Caballero comes up with a hat-trick of saves. Who's doubting Pellegrini's decision? Willy Caballero's hat-trick of penalty saves in the shootout gave Yaya Torre the chance to seal the win and claim yet another personal landmark under the Wembley arch. City were winners again, which would go some way to easing the blow of watching a title challenge turn into a battle for fourth place as the season entered its final stages. But when City were beaten at Anfield the midweek after beating Liverpool at Wembley, the disappointment was back. Alex Porter explained. It sums up the season, doesn't it? I mean, uh, 
It's that stat that's being quoted at the moment. They've not had back-to-back league victories since October. I think what's so disappointing about Sunday is that that felt like it might be a turning point. A good win against a good side, prioritised the League Cup, prioritised the Champions League, went well in both games, and now it feels like it's three steps backwards again as soon as we get back to the league. Fans, though, could find solace in City's Champions League form. After struggling to make ground in their first few years in the competition, they had topped their group this season and breezed past Dinamo Kiev in the last 16. That set up a crunch quarter-final with Ligue 1 champions Paris Saint-Germain and they achieved a great two-all draw in the French capital. Back at the Etihad Stadium, City dug deep and found the goal they needed. An impressive defensive display saw City run out 1-0 winners, with goalkeeper Joe Hart at his very best. Capped off by that curling effort from De Bruyne, who would go on to win City's Player of the Season, the Blues were into their first ever Champions League semi-final. Eventual winners Real Madrid would knock City out, and despite recognising the accomplishment, it was seen as something of a mischance by the podcast panel. When you go into a Champions League semi-final, knowing that one goal swings the time massively in your favour, and you don't manage a shot on target, then you've really got to be looking at yourself. I think City tried to play on the counter and that was the right idea, but they did a horrendous job of it. They were unintelligent in the use of the ball. They were, there was just a massive golfing clash between the two teams, um, and yet it was still decided over 180 minutes by a deflected goal. And so, there's, to me, there's got to be a lot of regrets that City didn't go after that game more than they did. As the league season drew to a close, it had already been announced that the Bayern Munich manager Pep Guardiola would be replacing Manuel Pellegrini for the following season. In the final home game, a frustrating 2-all draw with Arsenal left City relying on results elsewhere to secure a top-four finish. Pellegrini ended up making his farewell speech in front of a mostly empty stadium, as if to reflect the disappointing nature of the campaign. It's no real surprise, is it, to be honest with you, because like you mentioned at the top of the show, it it is the worst-kept secret in football, and it was a case of when, not if. It's just nice that it's out there now, and we're sort of not speculating anymore. But after West Ham beat Manchester United in their last ever game at Upton Park, City got the point they needed away to Swansea on the final day, with youngster Kelechi Iheanacho ending his breakout season with the crucial goal. The reception for the departing manager was much warmer once Champions League football was secured again, but despite his impressive start to life in Manchester, and despite the three trophies he won for the club, it was accepted that improvement was needed if City were to make future progress. With Pep Guardiola primed to trade Bavaria for Bezic, City fans spent the summer of 2016 dreaming of reaching that elite level with one of the game's visionaries at the helm. But with such a legendary figure coming to the club, how would he change its identity? Would club legends be removed to make way for experimental styles? And how would that elite mentality ever be installed? The answers only lay ahead. Hi, this is David Bernstein, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Rob Wilson looking back at City's 2015-16 season there. Now, uh, it's time to look ahead to uh, West Ham at home this coming weekend. Um, a very easy question, I think, to start with, guys. Uh, where are the goals coming from? Well, somebody's going to get a spanking at some point. You can be absolutely <laughs> sure of that. Um, so, and, and I think, is it is time? It, I think there's a pretty good chance it could be West Ham, yeah. Um, they're not in a good place at the moment. They started well under David Moyes, but have kind of dropped off quite a lot. And there's there's a bit of an internal battle going on between the fans and the, and the, the owners, owners at the yeah. moment. 
which um, which means that they are, they will arrive, un, you know, under an awful lot of pressure. Um, and I've just got a feeling that, that at some point City are going to click and somebody's going to be in, in big trouble. Somebody's going to walk into it. Ali, how do you get the confidence back into this team? Because, I mean, ultimately you miss those chances and yeah. the confidence is going to be gone. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'll, I'll admit, I, I all... Uh, rational um, evidence or, or whatever suggests that yeah they should go out and, and give West Ham an absolute spanking on Saturday um, that's usually what we've done in the past when we've had a real bad result um, I'm really struggling to find the optimism just because there have been so many games like this lately and they all seem to be under such a cloud I mean I, I remember um, uh, when Vinny, I can't remember what, what the result was but it's one of the things that popped up in the um, All or Nothing documentary uh, when we lost one of the big games that season um, and Vinny took everyone out paintballing um, and you know, everybody just went out and blew off some steam and had a laugh and obviously I don't know whether that's happening. They've gone off, they've all gone off to Dubai or Portugal or wherever they are this week to, to charge their batteries, which might help a bit, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I kind of, like, you know, I almost want to get old old school Mike Bassett about it and say they, they all need to go down the pub and get hammered together which right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm for about will not happen under Guardiola but maybe should you know that, something like that they they just need to shake out the cobwebs I think and I, I suspect the, the the results that they've had in the last couple of games actually, you know, over the last three four weeks um, are now really weighing down on them and I hope you know like I hope one bounces in off Sterling's bomb in the first five minutes, and and, and that's just what it—that's the catalyst. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's what we need, and and then maybe you know we can shake off the cobwebs, and and all will be well again. Uh, but I'm I, I'm finding my optimism harder and harder to to um, nurture. Yeah, Simon, it, it seems Guardiola had the players in the dressing room for quite a long time after the game at, at Spurs, um, and it seemed to be quite an open forum is that everybody could kind of chip in with, with their thoughts and what was going yeah, on. Yeah, I don't think that's that unusual. To well, be I was going to say, it's, it's yeah, possibly it's, a good thing. Yeah, I, I, listen, probably longer than normal. You know, was it, what was it, half an hour, 40 minutes? It's about an hour, I think, from, right. from you know, the people uh, that so, were. So that was, that was quite unusual, especially as I think you, you kind of required by the Premier League to attend the... Post-match press conference uh, in good time um, and quite as a journalist, quite that, that's quite right. Um, <laughs> late, late on a Sunday night. Yeah, I don't think. I, listen, I don't think it's that unusual. What you know, the players talks, the manager talks. I, I think that's it's quite good to kind of you know get th- get things out in the open rather than let them fester. Yeah, um, Ali, just looking at, uh, at how City can set up for for West Ham, just bringing it back round to the game. Um, we're in that stage of the season now where you would say some players like maybe we're talking about Rodri before uh, Rob's uh, piece on, uh, on on the last Pellegrini season. Uh, it's time for maybe him, for Foden, for Garcia to to get the minutes that they need to settle in ahead of next season, I suppose. Yeah, I think, uh, Rodri not so much. He's getting plenty of time, I think. But certainly the other two. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly can't think of many reasons not to be playing Foden, especially in every Premier League game now, and and Garcia to a certain extent as well, bringing him in. Um, and I think the the odd thing about that story that came out uh, from the weekend uh, is that it happened after Sunday when actually it was close to a reversion to a, a kind of classic Guardiola lineup. I mean, we were talking earlier about whether Gundogan was playing further forward or further back. Um, but it was coming after several weeks of two at the back, three at the back, four at the back, the, um, the lineup against... Uh, 
United in the second leg. Was none, it, was none at the back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it sounds, wasn't it? One defender, seven midfielders, and a couple <clears throat> of giraffes. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> Ali has just reminded me of something that, that somebody, I, won't, I won't mention who it was, but somebody in the press box said uh, during the United game, made that exact point that Pep, Pep's te- team lineup looked like a manager who had gone into the game thinking, let's let's line up with two men at the back and they're both... Well, it was three at the back, wasn't it? But it ended up with two at the back because um, Cancelo ended up playing as a, as a, as a pushing up as a normal full-back would rather than playing on the, uh, as the left-hand side of the three. And it, quite often it was two at the back and somebody made the point... Is Guardiola bored here, and he's trying. He's trying to look at whether he could actually win a big football game in that manner by just playing with with well a defense that was really unrecognizable. So you know, let's not forget. You know, Pep is a great kind of um, innovator, and um, he will try and win football games with different tactical formations and 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 see if if those formations work and. I don't think City fans should really have a problem or the players should have a problem in the coming weeks because the league's gone if he does kind of experiment a little bit in the in the Premier League. Try a few new things. Hopefully his fo- you know, Phil Foden more minutes because I think, you know, he, even even the, the kind of most blue-eyed City fan who doesn't like any criticism to be directed at the club would say that it's time for Phil Foden to be getting more minutes on the pitch because I, I, I do worry that he's going to miss that window where a player sort of takes, makes that jump from being a really promising footballer to being a, a seasoned Premier League footballer. And, it, you know, some, so, so many players have missed that window because they don't get enough time on the pitch. And that's my worry about Foden. And the number of times this season we've wanted City to have a bit more energy and Foden brings that in, in bucket loads, doesn't he? Um, a, a quick question of the week, for the weekend. If a penalty is given, who gets it? <laughs> uh, OK, I'll... I'm after the Gundogan uh, fiasco on Sunday. I'm past caring about who takes penalties. <laughs> Here's what I think. Okay, there is uh, there are four spots on a goal where if you hit a ball hard enough, a penalty, no goalkeeper on an, on earth is going to stop it. Uh, we're talking an inch inside the post, low down, an inch inside the post, high up on either side. Um, and I am absolutely convinced that. At least 10 of our players, but no, 11 of our players have got the skill and the ability to hit that spot nine times out of 10 if the goalkeeper wasn't there. You know, just hit it as hard as you can at that inch there and they could do it again and again and again and again. And so why they do these jinky little runs and, you know, I was talking about being Mike Bassett earlier, just like run up and whack it, you know, for God's sake, man. So, so Ed, Edison, uh, which is why Edison's Edison, got, yeah. Edison, Edison <laughs> is a cle- he's the cleanest striker of the ball at the at the club. Yeah. I mean, the guy can can kick it to Moss side. So, and he's accurate as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not just sort of saying that he should just run up, run up and smash it. But um, what I agree with Ali, I can't understand... Uh, um, this kind of argument that if you hit, try and hit a ball too, with too much power, then you lose accuracy, because we've seen uh, Gabriel Jesus do his his kind of stutter step and a miss by three feet in the in the Champions League game. He tried it again and 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 had a had a penalty saved. Was that was it Dean Henderson? Yeah. Dean Henderson had a penalty saved. Um, Aguero's not not the most. You know, Aguero tries to place it rather than, but they're placing it, but they're not finding the accuracy either. So why not just give it, give it some good old. Flag. I'm not saying just you know, 
but don't pick a spot. Mm. But but give it some venom. You know, Gundogan, Gundogan's penalty, if the goalkeeper guessed the right way, was always going to be saved. Mm. It wasn't near the corner. Um, so, you know, the keeper's got a 50-50 chance straight away if he guesses the right way. I heard a really interesting interview with Owen Hargreaves uh, ahead of probably the last World Cup or you know, like <laughs> one of the World Cups when the, the um, national broadcasters all go into... Uh, uh, having kittens about England taking penalties. Um, <laughs> and they did an entire documentary on Five Live or, or one of the stations about um, how to take a penalty. And Owen Hargreaves said that um, there was one tournament he was going into uh, where what he did is he rehearsed a penalty that he knew he was good at that went to the goalkeeper's top left, uh, right up into that corner, top bins, um, and he could hit it again and again and again. Uh, and he went out and practised that penalty again and again and again. And when it came to a penalty shootout, obviously the opposition had had their spies in the camp because as he was running up to take the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper moved like a couple of yards over to that side with his arm in the air to, to cover it. And he said he had a brief moment of thinking, right, do it like twist the body and hit it the other way. Uh, and and he said, I had the courage of my convictions and just, no, I just, like, he's not going to save it. And I just whacked it into that exact spot I'd been aiming at and it flew past him. Even when he knew what was going to happen, he couldn't stop it. Yeah. Um, and he said, I'm so glad that that goalkeeper didn't play, you know, mind games or didn't get into my head and persuade me to try and do it because I would have dragged it past the post if I'd, yeah. if I'd changed my mind at the last minute. And I think that's what, you know, that's how to do it. Well, just in, be- in all, I was going to say, in all seriousness... Because I don't think Edison's going to say he's not. He's not going to let him. I think that um, I think it's got to be either De Bruyne or Bernardo Silva. Um, You know, two absolutely sweet strikers of the ball. Um, And I've always believed that you know the 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 guy that hits the ball cleanest should be should Should be be penalty taker. De Bruyne's got issues with penalties. Well, he's missed. missed, He's missed, hasn't he? He's missed 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 once. He's missed once. But I mean, you know, everybody's going to miss a penalty. I mean, we've been blessed to be fair. That's, that, 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 that feels like the rule for City. At the minute, know, but, but Yaya and, and Balotelli were just, um, you know, I mean, we were talking earlier about putting some venom behind your penalty kicks. Mario just used to somehow <laughs> find the cut. Like th- th- those penalties were not being saved. Yeah. You know, yeah. he was just in, in, an incredible. And Yaya, Yaya, exactly yeah. the same. Well, uh, just before we get our uh, predictions for the West Ham game, Simon, I'm going to take you back to uh, 2017. Uh, you <coughs> managed the media team in uh, the uh, media against City staff. Still got Pep's shirt. And <laughs> yes. uh, we, we went to a penalty shootout and we won. We did. And I'll never forget your face. Speaking of goalkeepers taking penalties, I'll never forget your face when I said, I'll have a penalty. And you, you, you went white as a sheep. <laughs> so, and you, you looked at me and you said, can you... Can you take him? Well, I went. Yeah, I'll have a go. I, Dave, I'll, I'll hit it. Yeah. As many as many journalists will tell you, it's a lot easier when you sat in the comfort of a press box. <laughs> but when the, when the heat is on on the SCR training ground, yeah. and the press team have never won that trophy before. <laughs> The, the worst bit is you agreed to let me take one and then we won it on the penalty before mine. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get the chance, did I? Right. Uh, well, another week without any wins on the uh, charity bet, so it's time to try and add some more money into the kitty for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester. William Hill is giving each of the panel a £10 correct score single on our predictions and uh, the winnings are going to the charity. So, um, Ali, we'll, we'll start off with you. What have you gone for for this week? I will fish for some optimism against my better nature and go for a 3-1 City win. A 3-1 City win is 9-1, to so 90 quid if you're right. Um, Simon, I'm going to come to you now, because uh, we talked about a thumping. Is it going to be a thumping? I'm going for a 5-0 romp. 
Yeah, five but for the home side, for the home side yes. is uh, is ten to one, so hundred pounds if you're right. Um, I'm I'm going to give West Ham a goal. I'm, I, I'm still not convinced about City's uh, defensive side of things, but I like you. I think they're going to get the, the finishing sorted out after weekend. So I'm going to go for five one City, uh, which is sixteen to one and one hundred and sixty pounds. Can we get right. odds on West Ham scoring one goal but only having one shot on target? Uh, I think that's evens. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I, I I can have a look later yeah. on if you, you want. Can I just say going back to crazy games and it and I. Actually tweeted this on Sunday that the only surprise was that the Spurs goals were not scored by Richard Dunn and Sunday High <laughs> because I remember that game against Middlesbrough on a Sunday afternoon I think Middlesbrough didn't have a shot Middlesbrough on or didn't off have a target. single shot on, uh, on or off target and won the game 1-0 thanks yeah. to his Sunji High walking, a, walking the ball into his own net so, <laughs> I just remember um, the look on David Seaman's face it's like what, like what are you doing like, we're shooting that way you know yeah, right. So you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out begambleaware.org. Howard Hawkins back this week. Here he is. I say it too much on podcasts and in blogs, and I'm going to say it again and bore you once more. But the fact is, sometimes we forget that footballers are human beings prone to the same erratic work performance levels as the rest of us. Our footballers are paid more than the rest of us, of course, I assume, certainly at Premier League level. But if you think that allows them to act like robots, you couldn't be more wrong. The level of remuneration rather demands consistent high-level performance, but we can hardly be surprised with some falter. What's more, we all perhaps assume that all footballers love the game they play. But I could envisage falling out of love with the beautiful game quite easily as a footballer, just as many fans have done, even despite the sacrifices to get to this level and the fact it will leave you comfortable for life. And when the inquest continued to where City went wrong in this season's Premier League title race, a key component may well be that certain players' performance levels were derailed, at least temporarily, by events off the field, not on it. There are many other factors, of course, from a passive summer transfer window to key injuries to unnecessary tactical tinkering and the inability, understandably, to maintain the intensity of the previous two seasons. But I still think that away from the training ground, the physio room, Dr Kugat's secret lair and from the pitch itself, contributory factors from players' other life have been at play. Sometimes a footballer cannot be a robot on a football pitch when the world has been temporarily turned upside down. Maybe I hone in on such instances because of the erratic form, when the truth is they are always happening, and we ignore them when things are going well. Maybe. After all, at any one time in a Premier League squad or any football squad, there's no doubt a player going through a break-up or two, one seeking a super injunction, allegedly, one grieving for a lost friend or family member, and more. It is normal life, after all, super injunctions apart. But nevertheless, I think this season we have seen stark examples of how off-field events have crept into the pitch. First up was Bernardo Silva in the furore over his ill-advised public tweet to Benjamin Mendy. Silva made a mistake and knew what he had done and why it was wrong, very quickly. He was from all accounts devastated by his error of judgement, in tears at what had transpired. But Pep Guardiola did not really help by backing him up and wondering what all the fuss was about. The fuss simply became bigger, but it could have been dealt with better and more swiftly. It was appallingly handled by the club, and whilst Bernardo had hardly set the world on fire... Like last season prior to the outrage, it surely knocked him back for quite a while. Then as Raheem Sterling, his drop-off in form became apparent a good couple of months ago. At first it seemed to me to be a simple case of fatigue. After all, he was playing pretty much every game, and he's one of the last players Pep looks to substitute during a match, 
irrespective of performance levels. Then he got two or three games off, came back and seemed to just get worse and worse. Off the ball he is fine, his movement remains as elite as ever, but his confidence with the ball seems shot. Sterling has had a lot on his plate off the field for many years now and seems to have shrugged it off and continue to develop with an iron mentality and will to succeed. Maybe then I am reading too much into his recent slump, but could it possibly be linked to the bust-up with Joe Gomez on England duty? Of course, Raheem had already put in one poor performance by then, namely the previous day, but bad performances at Anfield are nothing new to him. Yeah, I am speculating, of course, by connecting certain dots here, but his slumping form seems hard to explain elsewhere, as in the past, even when he missed a chance in a game, a great chance, he never hid, and would come back for more and try and put wrongs right. Not anymore, it seems, though it's surely a temporary blip, and maybe a little layoff will help him, not that an injury could ever be spun to be a good thing. And then, of course, there's John Stones. Tittle-tattle about players' personal lives is literally the least interesting information I could wish to learn, but it seems with Stones, a personal life has seeped onto the pitch. Of course, being injury-prone does not help either, and maybe it would never have progressed anyway. Having been rotated from out of the team to out of the squad... For the Spurs match, we may never find out, but with life more settled off the pitch now, we can but hope that it can still turn it around. I hate to suggest mentality issues with players, I do not know them and remote diagnoses are not something you should ever make, and you must have a pretty strong mentality in the first place to make it this far in the game. But no footballer knows what life has in store for them, what is around the corner, I do suspect that events away from football have affected his confidence on it. When your manager is a perfectionist, it only makes it harder to get back into the groove. The pressure must be immense, not helped when at the other end of the pitch chances are so often being wasted. As I said, I've little interest in what goes on off the pitch usually, but nowadays it seems hard to ignore. Only yesterday I was suddenly presented with a link to a story about Riyad Mahrez's new girlfriend, who apparently is the daughter of some Cheshire housewife nobody, who is married to some other nobody, and that sounds all rather harsh about people I don't know, but having bumped into the makers of the programme in the Britain's Protection last year, on my birthday, I'm confident that I deserve that description. Anyway, I had no idea, why would I, that Riyad Mahrez was married, isn't now, and now has a new partner. Is this why his form has picked up? I doubt it, but who knows what effect the divorce had at the time. He's only human after all. This is the thing, Pep can watch all the opposition videos in the world create tactical innovations that change the sport forever, and help recruit the best players going but he cannot control the lives of all who work under him. All he can do is treat them individually and get the best out of them when it's needed. Likewise, he can't make David Silva shoot from five yards out and make Raheem Sterling square the ball better for Ilkay Gundogan. He can only do so much. And for the footballers themselves, their biggest challenge is not to score loads of goals and make lots of saves or brilliant tackles, but to play to the best of their ability regardless of what is going on in the rest of their lives. To enter a bubble and remain a consummate professional during the duration of a football match, week in, week out. Hey, I even get worried when City players become a father, especially goalkeepers. I know how important a good night's sleep is, after all. It cannot be easy having relentless focus, and is what separates the top players, the very, very top players, from the rest, not just pure ability. It's why the points tallies of previous seasons and now Liverpool are so impressive, and why I'm not convinced they will be repeated season on season any time soon. It's why many clubs now finally see the advantages of hiring sports psychologists. But whatever the reasons, humans move on and this football team will too. The focus and intensity will return. The trophies will be won. And no one to put right the wrongs of this season. Everyone is just too good for that not to happen, truth be told. 
But sometimes there's literally we can do when that focus falters. Sometimes you just have to accept it is not your time, or your team's time at least. And remembering that they are human just like you should make it easy to bear. Hi, this is Paul Lake and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Now we're talking there. Now time to finish with Ask the Panel. Send your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast and uh, you can get us on the website as well. Just email through bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Paul <coughs> Dale's been in touch through Instagram, which is, uh, you can search for us on there as well. And uh, he's asked, was Guardiola right to call out Richard Scudamore in his press conference after the defeat at Spurs, especially after the new guy in charge isn't that worried anymore about a team dominating? I think Guardiola was was right to mention it, just to kind of fire a, a shot across the the Premier League bows. Um, Richard Masters has obviously come in as chief exec, and he was um, he was an in, an interim appointment. Um, and I spoke to him in the summer during the um, Asia tournament in Shanghai. Not just me, but a few, a few other journalists. And one of the questions posed was was in agreement with um, Scudamore's claim that, you know, City winning the, the the Premier League by, nine, was it 19 points? 19 in the end, yeah. Um, was bad for, for football and bad for the Premier League in particular. And he distanced himself from that, to be fair to him. And he said, look, because um, obviously this was coming off the back of last season when City had just edged Liverpool out for the title. And he said that the great thing about that City team was that it... it, it um, it raised the bar in terms of what teams needed to do to win the Premier League. And uh, obviously, Liverpool kind of rose to that challenge. Um, didn't work out for them in 2019. But this season, they've just gone from strength to strength. So now it's up for other, and now it's up to other teams, including City, to kind of, you know... To respond. Respond to that challenge. So I, I, I wouldn't... Um, I would, I would say that City fans give Richard Masters a chance because he, he did distance himself from, from those Scudamore um, opinions. What what he did say, and uh, his quote here is, uh, he says, obviously Liverpool <clears throat> are sitting here today 22 points ahead of the rest of the Premier League, but our te- television audiences have never been higher. People are fascinated with that story because they've not won it. And that, I mean, you can understand, Ali, why City fans are upset by that. Yeah, I can, although uh, if we're talking about Pep's comments, um, I, I kind of wish that he would... Uh, he wouldn't get hung up on old grudges. And there was a couple of times the weekend. There, there was a couple of things at the weekend. There was there was that one, and there was something about uh, an unnamed uh, uh, club owner who had said that. Um, oh, I can't remember. There's something about City killing football back then as well. Um, and it's kind of and talk about the game we've just had. Like, don't go back to how your maths teacher didn't give you enough marks when you were 15 or whatever it doesn't matter um, and I think Pep was just furious and he was in a bad mood and he's been doing that quite a lot understandably of late and he was wanting to hit out and, and kind of it, it just comes a little bit petty to me um, and I just think Guardiola oozes so much class he doesn't need to go down that route um, obviously it's really good that Masters has come in and has got a much better attitude than Scudamore did uh, I'm very happy about that, um, but I, I kind of I would I would be much happier if Pep would just stay out of those things. Yeah, I mean, I suppose Simon as well. When you hear that, and considering it's completely odds at what he'd said to you in the summer, it, it kind of feels like that's actually it's a really easy line for him to nail to say that actually, well, this season Liverpool have run away with it, but teams will respond. 
Well, yeah, I think I think that 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 um, was his attitude last summer. But um, well, I think what what all fans, not just City fans, have got to realise is that the chief exec of the Premier League is there to make money for the Premier League clubs. It is. Every single year, Premier League clubs are saying to him, "We want more. We want more." They're, he's working under that pressure. So, from from his personal point of view, if T because we we keep thinking that you know T, TV numbers are at saturation point, but if those numbers continue can, are continuing to climb because Liverpool are going to win their first title in thirty years, then he's going to be happy about that because it means that he can deliver more money to Premier League clubs. That is the pressure that he works under the Premier League our own and maybe Pep's not aware of this but every Premier League club will go to the chief executive when TV deals are being um, negotiated and say we want more that's all they're interested in is him making more money for Premier League clubs Final question for this week uh, Kelly asks on Twitter what do you think of the Angelino transfer especially considering Mendy and Zinchenko's injury problems was it a smart deal Ali? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, I, I'm, I'm absolutely baffled by it. Um, the only thing I can think is that um, Pep has looked at him and there's something in his game that he's deeply unhappy about. And I, I, don't know what, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it would be. Um, but that Guardiola has basically said, look, mate, you've got to sort out this problem you've got uh, before you're playing for City again. So go away to Leipzig, work on it there, come back and, and you can be part of us next year. But I've no idea what that is. And if it's... Either that, or or there there's something you know old fashioned behind the scenes gossip. I'll look to the tabloid journalist. I, I'll be I'll be completely one, cynical. Yeah. City have managed to get him back after a, a good season at PSV Eindhoven for what five and a half million quid, knowing that they could probably sell him on for between. Well, City are saying that they want twenty five million for him. I don't think they'll get that much, but if they get. 15 million 20 there's, there's million profit, then that's you know that is a good business move and let's be fair it, City did develop him as a player initially when he came over from Spain that that that's my belief anyway well, that, that would make sense if they sold him but to, to put him out for four months on loan well yeah I mean I th- just a shop it, window but maybe? it is with with a uh, a view to the deal being made permanent right, okay. in the in the summer and I, th- I think Leipzig are, Leipzig are top of the Bundesliga as well mm. So he's going into a, you know, he's going in with a chance there of winning a title medal. Could be the only City player that wins a title medal <laughs> this year, and playing Champions League, you know, being in the Champions League again next year. So from the players' point of view as well, it it, it does. It does make sense. Yeah. Um, quick on that, who plays left back at weekend if Mendy's not available and Zinchenko's suspended? <laughs> Anybody but Cancelo, because I've been uh, I've been quite disappointed with him this year. Um, I just don't think he's a natural defender. When 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 City bought him, maybe I mean cruel because he's not a left back. He's 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 naturally right footed. So I'll, I'll take those words back and being a bit harsh there. But I when City bought him, I kind of assumed that they that we would see a lot more of three at the back and him bombing on as a as a wing back, which is his strength. Um, and we've not seen that. We've not seen we've not seen a lot of that. I wonder, so maybe, I wonder if Mendy's injuries have been key to that as well, though. If Mendy, if Mendy can't do it on the left, and well, not only that, City haven't had kind of three senior fit centre centre half. That's true as well, so, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's quite difficult to play three at the back when you've only got you're having one centre half. You've got one centre half fit, and you know Fernandinho fitting in, who I think, by the way, has been exceptional. Play, hasn't he? City, yeah. I think he's been City Player of the Year this year. Yeah. 
Right, so that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. And if you've enjoyed it, then please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a rating and a review. It helps others find the podcast and it means it helps us with funding the show through the ads as well. If you'd like to help out further, then you can sign up to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and you get a bonus of 15 to 20 minutes each week. This week's show is all about the perfect goals that City have scored in the past. You know, the ones where, where it seems like everybody gets a touch and then uh, some, somehow there's an open goal that City pass it into. Uh, special thanks to my two guests this week, Simon Mullock. Pleasure. And Ali Fogg. Thank you. I'll be back next week to review how City have managed to miss yet another gazillion chances against West Ham. So I hope you're all looking forward to that one. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And the Sunday Mirror's chief football writer, Simon Mullock. Hi, David. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good, thanks. You? Good, good. I'm not very bad, thanks. Um, I'll say that again because that's not a normal thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not very bad. (laughs)